Well, a couple weeks ago, I was at a pastor's meeting, and the pastor was talking about a church in his neighborhood, and he said at that church, if the pastor says something that you like, what you do is you open up your wallet, and then you take out money, and you bring it up to the altar, and you slap it down. <laughs> There's no punchline. <laughs> and, all right, I appreciate an amen as much as the next guy, but... There is something so wrong with that on so many levels, you know, wow. Well, every year what we try to do is we try to devote at least a couple weeks where we look into the scriptures and say what it does and doesn't say about money. We think it's an important topic, and, and so we go to the scriptures. And before we dive in, I just want to let you know, before we say anything, that there's not going to be a, wait for it, and then a, okay, you better give now or the lights are going to go off and we're going to lay off staff and all this. We're not in trouble financially. Our church is not in financial trouble. Uh, we work really, really hard to live within God's provision here at this church. We budget very conservatively. We do our best to maintain a two- to three-month financial cushion because we know there's going to be cycles and ebbs and flows. And because we're growing, we've been putting money aside. We've been putting extra money away because someday we're going to have to make a decision about what comes next, and we want to have some money already there for when that day comes. So this message will not be followed by a def desperate plea for pledges. That's not coming, so you can just let go of that. There's not going to be this big white elephant in the room uh, when we talk about money. And I think that's important because we just want to look what the Scripture says, and we want to mix all of that together. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the Bible, you might be saying, well, why is the church talking about money anyway? Shouldn't you talk about spiritual things? And I want to offer to you, if, if, if that's what you're, you're, you're wondering, I want to offer to you that how we steward the resources that God's entrusted to us, that's spiritual life 101. The Bible says an awful lot about money. So at least once a year, we spend at least a week or two talking about that. And what I want to do is we're just going to be looking in our scriptures today. You know, in fact, you'll notice in your notes, if you want to pull out this little yellow note sheet, you'll notice that I have more scriptures than usual referenced here. I want you to fact check everything I say. You can do it for every lesson, but especially when a preacher talks about money, fact check them. So we've got a number of scriptures here. We want to encourage you to look at those. Don't just look at those passages. Look at all the context around them. Go to the Word. Look at the whole of Scripture and see how it says, uh, toward, how it relates to these things that we've been talking about here. All right, well, let's dive in. We have several principles we're going to look at today. That, that have to do with money. And the first one is this, this is where it all starts. God is the source of all good things. The Bible teaches that. That God is the source of all good things. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free so you can look these things up yourself. We keep a stack of those at the table on each side by the door there. We encourage you to take one. It's our gift to you, no cost, nothing like that. All right, well, let's look at this principle. Uh, this principle that God is the source of all good things. Where do we get that from? We get that from the scripture. Here's a passage that says it that directly. Psalm 24.1. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to it. Psalm 24.1. Why do we say that God is the source of all good things? Because the Bible does. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. When we say that the resources aren't ours, they're God's, it's not just God's money. It's God's everything. It's not just his money, it's his everything. And it's not just everything he's trusting to you now, it's everything you could possibly acquire if you maxed out all of your possibilities. 
with the opportunities he's given you, with the abilities he's given you, if you maxed all of that out, that's all God's. Where do I get that from? I get it from Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18. Here's what it says there. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands or my brain have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And then once you understand that, once you understand that everything that you have, including all the potential that you could have, once you understand that that's all God's to begin with, it's a lot easier to say, here's a portion back to you of that which you've given to me. This is out of 1 Chronicles 29, 14. A man is giving and he's seeing the people giving generously and he says this, it's David, King David, but who am I? Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we've only given you that which comes from your hand. Be a little extra vulnerable with you today. I can't count the number of times. I wish this wasn't true, but I can't count the number of times where I'm writing out the check, you know, to the church or to Emmanuel Children's Home, and this little voice in my head whispers, you know, it would really help the cash flow this week if you just did double next week. It was just me, but that, that comes in my head every once in a while, you know. And, and then, I, then I hear that little whisper that just says, it's not your money. It's not your money. Everything we have, everything we have comes from God. And the Bible teaches us, there's a place to write this in your notes, we're instructed to give God our first and our best. Why do I say the way you handle resources is spiritual life 101? Because are you giving God your leftovers or does he get your first and your best? That's one of the clearest places you can see it. Does God get your first and best or does he get his leftovers? Take a look at this. This is out of the book of Malachi, also known as Malachi. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. All right? He says this, and they're talking about these sacrifices. All right? When you offer your blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Wrong. Try offering that to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. And all God's people said, ouch. (laughs) Someday I want to do a deep dive. This book has so much to say about financial stewardship. One of the years when we talk about finances, we're just going to focus exclusively on Malachi. All right, here's another principle. Another principle, and that is this. Joyful sacrificial giving, it's a means by which we demonstrate the sincerity of our faith. When you go into the scriptures, you see this. That the Bible doesn't say, okay, you're saved if you give generously. It, it, it alludes to the fact that if you really understand grace and you understand what God's done for us, then it's just something that we do. Um, here's one of the passages that speaks to that. This is out of an ancient letter from the first century called Second Corinthians, or we call it Second Corinthians. And here's what it says. I'm, I'm reading straight out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as, as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us, for the privilege in sharing this service to the Lord's people. Paul was taking up a collection for some people who were in a really tough 
tough spot at that time. And they, these the Macedonians, they exceed our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Again, is, is sacrificial giving a, a, a way, a means to earn favor with God? No. It's a sign that you understand what he's done and who he is. All right, well, if you're new to the Christian faith, one of the things you're going to hear if you go around churches that teach on money, you're going to hear a word called tithe, the word tithe. Tithe is a frequently referenced starting point um, when it comes to giving. The word tithe just means 10%, 10%. So if you were tithing on $10, it would be $1. If you're tithing on 100 it would be 10 and so on and so on. Jesus, now when he taught on money and possessions, he said a lot of things about money and possessions. It's an interesting passage here that we're going to look at, Matthew 23, 23. In this passage, he affirms the tithe as he's making a bigger point. Here's the passage, Matthew 23, 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, in this passage, Jesus affirms the tithe, but he does a lot more than that. And we're going to circle back to this passage uh, in just a couple minutes. But right now, let's just cut to the bottom line. Isn't that what you do when you talk about money? Right? Just cut to the bottom line. If Jesus affirms the tithe, exactly what does he mean by that? Do we tithe on everything? Or just our income from work? Are birthday presents exempt? How about Christmas? Should we give the full tithe to our church? Or can we include other charity in our 10%? And the most common question that I get asked is this one. Is it pre-tax or post-tax? That's the most common question I get asked. Is it pre-tax or post-tax? Should you pray? Should you do that? Because some people say, well, hey, a portion of our tithe goes to the poor, right? At least in theory. And so should we be able to deduct from our tithe like we deduct from our taxes and, and that whole thing? So I, I'm picturing in my head as I was putting this together, I was picturing this businessman coming to me and he's going, just tell me the bottom line, Pastor. Who do I make the check out to and how much? And if someone asked me that, I'd be like, I don't know how to answer that question. In fact, I can't answer that question for you. I can't answer that question, who and how much, at least not exactly, not letter of the law kind of way. The title here that I gave to this message series when it was last year and I was putting it ahead is called Untwisting the Tithe. I'll do this to myself every so often where I'll put a topic out there that I don't have the answer to yet. But then it's on the calendar, and by then, I better know more than I know now. And so one of the things I've always wanted to do was to take some extended time and dive into this idea of tithing because as I was reading the scriptures, I could get more confused. So I thought, let's do something called untwisting the tithe. Why did I get it confused? You know, you, 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 you listen to a lot of folks, and they make it not confusing. Hey, you give a tithe to your local church, and then everything beyond that is offerings. Boy, I read the Bible it, I can't, I can't make it that simple. The more I try to put everything that the Bible says about tithing into a spreadsheet, the more confused I get. 
The first reference to a tithe that comes to mind is Genesis 14, 27, and that's a tithe off of a battle. It's a guy named Abram who later his name becomes Abraham, and he tithes off the spoil of a recent battle, and that tithe went to the king of Salem, who was also a priest. The next reference I found, Genesis 28, 18 through 20, you've got Jacob, and he's making a shrine at Bethel, not go royals, Bethel, a different Bethel, and he promises a tithe to God there. In Leviticus, tithes are expected from the seed of the land and the fruit of the trees. And if you own any animals, you're instructed to tithe every tenth animal that passes under the herdsman's staff. Now, if you want to keep a particular sheep or goat, then there's a complex formula by which you can pay cash and keep that animal. In the book of Numbers, the Israelites are instructed to direct their tithes to the Levites because the Levites are called to serve the rest of the people. And then the Levites were to tithe to the Lord from the tithes they received. In Deuteronomy, especially chapters 12, 14, and 26, you have all kinds of teaching about tithing, and it's, at least to me, even more complicated than the earlier references. The people are expected to tithe of their seed, grain, wine, oil, and firstlings from their herds and flocks. And if I'm understanding it correctly, they're to consume the tithes as a sacrificial meal in a place chosen by God, and then they're to invite a local Levite to eat the meal with them. Although every third year, the tithe was to be set aside for the Levite, the resident alien, the orphan, and the widow. Do you got this? Because we're not done. In Second Chronicles, people are instructed to simply bring their tithes to both the Levites and the priests, and then that's also the case in the book of Nehemiah. And then everything gets really blurry when kings come into the picture because now you've got tithing mixed in with the monarchy. And if all of this isn't confusing enough, the Bible also includes very detailed instructions regarding peace offerings and sin offerings and guilt offerings and wave offerings and special offerings for building projects that appear at time to go beyond the tithe. Does anyone want to tell that businessman how to write that check out and who to make it out to? Because I can't. Here's what I do know. There are some categories that appear over and over and over again. Here's the three categories that appear. There's a place to write these in your notes along with all kinds of scriptures to take a look at. One of the categories is ministry and mission. One is to provide for the poor. In another, there's this category, I call it the Disneyland reference. You can look that one up. But there, in other ways, it remind us that God is the source of all good things. You might want to take a look at that one, that last reference on your notes. Well, we're not the only ones who are confused by this. It appears as though at the time of Jesus, people began to simplify the code. They began to simplify the way that they would treat their tithes. And here's a summary from a guy named Clegg. Craig Blomberg, I really appreciate his contributions to the kingdom. He, he says this. He calls it a triple tithe. He says the Jewish triple tithe, 10% to the priests and Levites, 10% for temple festivals, and then the three and one-third for the poor, meaning that once every three years thing. He said it came on top of the sales taxes, customs, and tribute to the Roman government. So he would be pre-tax, triple tithe. And then there was another temple tax there. So as you can see, things began to blur a little bit. By Jesus' day, apparently tithing practices became blurred. The Deuteronomy meal was dropped, and there were some more of the specific complicated formulas that people weren't applying. But here's something that was interesting. Again, I did the deepest dive I could in the time that I had, and I came across this. 
teaching. I hadn't heard this before. This is from the Anchor Bible Dictionary. They said this. As they look back at the ancient historical documents, they went back to Jewish documents in the first century, Christian documents in the first century, and, and following. They said this. Despite this generalizing tendency to kind of blur things together, virtually all the references in early Judaism and early Christianity are to tithes, plural, and not to the tithe. Tithes do not become the tithe until much later in the history of Christianity. Now, as I looked at some of these early sources, 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century, it was interesting to see what was happening. Here's one. Here's a quote from the, which is this one? This one is the 3rd century. This is a quote from the 3rd century. And as early as the 3rd century, people were starting to make the jump in Christian circles to say, hey, what, what you saw happening in Jewish circles applies you know, in Christian circles. It says this um, in the, a, a work called The Homilies of Joshua, 17.3. It says, God orders the priest Levite who possessed no land himself, referring to the Old Testament, to live together with an Israelite who possessed the land. The Christian priest should be supported just as we provide oil for a lamp so that it can give light. Another theme that you see in the early writings, this one comes from the second century. Another thing you see is this theme, that if the Old Testament bar was here, for Christians, the bar should be higher because our Messiah gave himself for us. Here's a quote from a man, and what's interesting about this, this guy is one of the people that we look to, to as far as helping to recognize which books should be part of the Bible. Okay, So here's this guy, he says... Um, the Jews had indeed the tithes of their goods consecrated to God, but those who have received liberty, meaning Christians, have set aside all of their possessions for the Lord's purposes, bestowing joyfully and freely. Now, the early church didn't see tithes as the end zone. Let me give you one more ancient quote, and let's try to apply this. This is a quote from the 4th century. And this guy says, he says, Someone told me with great amazement that so-and-so gives a tithe. How shameful, he writes, that what was once taken for granted among the Jews has now become an amazing thing among Christians. I mean, so I look at this, and if I were to say, what's the low bar? I would say, boy, tithe is probably the low bar when it comes to giving because of what we see in the scriptures, what we see in the... Um, in these early writings. But here's the thing, as I dug into this, and my point was going to be, let's try to untwist it a little bit. As I tried my best to do that, what was impressed on me is, quit zooming in. Zoom out. Don't just zoom in and try to untwist all this. Zoom out. And when I started to do that, the big picture started to become very, very clear. Ties and offerings, they're just one small part of a bigger picture. Tithes and offerings are just one small part of a bigger picture. Let me explain what I mean by that. Here's a zoomed-in picture, a literal zoomed-in picture. Kind of hard to know what that is, isn't it? Let's just leave that on the screen for a second. And I think this is what happens. When you try to zoom in on the tithe, it's just this little thing. It doesn't stand alone. And if you zoom in too far, much on this tithe, you can miss the bigger picture. You can be like, oh, God's asking so much. Or you can have the opposite of a pride of look at me, look how generous I am. If you just zoom in on the tithe itself, you're missing out. So now let's zoom out from this picture. If we zoom out, 
here's what we were looking at. And the reason I picked a road is because there's some parallels between this tithe and our physical lives as individuals and the tithe as part of our overall spiritual life. I mean, there was about a five-year stretch where I just kept telling myself, you got to get into shape, you got to get into shape, you got to get into shape, you got to get into shape. And if you ever make vague goals like that, you rarely hit any targets, right? So I never got into shape, got into shape, got into shape. Because, I mean, what does that even mean, right? So I'm like, and many of you know, I, I had to put a race on the calendar. And so I put a race on the calendar, and that meant you got to start going. If you're going to show up at that race and not just get blown away by some 14-year-old girl, you know, then, then you, need to, you need to go. So I set a specific time and a whole training program and all that. That little zoom in, you know, and just get into shape, get into shape, get into shape. When you've got a bigger picture, okay, I, this is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. I'm making it practical. The getting out and rubber meets the road, literally shoes hitting pavement, it's part of a bigger picture. All right, I'm getting into shape and I'm going to make it specific. This, this is a step towards getting in shape for this specific thing. And, and, and here's the deal. Getting into shape, that's physical cardio shape is only one part of getting into shape, right? There's nutrition. There's sleep. Anyone ever heard of that, right? There's sleep. There's all these different things. There's strength training. So if you want to get into shape, cardio, this idea of running, that's just one small part of it. And that's not even talking about emotional health. Social health, if you just zoom in on the tithe instead of seeing the bigger picture, you're missing out. Tithing is just one specific small step towards something much, much bigger. Much, much bigger. Let's go back to that passage that I said we'd come back to. Matthew 23, 23, where Jesus says, Woe to you! You teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth from your spice rack, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. One of my sources, I'd never seen this before, one of my sources was saying that cumin spice on there that Jesus lists, that was an actual argument among the Pharisees in that day. They were actually arguing, okay, of which of the spices should we tithe off of? And they would have arguments about this stuff. Should we tithe off mint? Should we tithe off dill? What about cumin? I don't even know what a cumin is. Um, and, and so do we, what, now, you know, we look at this and we roll our eyes like, you, no wonder he's calling you, you hypocrites. You're arguing about do you tithe off of your spice rack? Do you think Jesus in our day might look at some people and go, pre-tax, post-tax, Really? Really, you're missing the bigger picture. It's not about 10%. It's about everything. And it's not about money. It's about trusting me in relationships, trusting me with your career, trusting me with what I say about forgiveness, trusting about everything. This is, I'm trying to make it practical for you people. The goal is to be able to surrender all of yourself so that you can live joyfully and wonderfully within my life for you. I'm just trying to make it practical. This is rubber meets the road. Here's your first step with money. Give me your first and your best. But that's not the end. 
I've got more for you as you trust me with more and more of your life. Let me show you an example of this. One, we're going to open our Bibles one more time together here. Acts chapter 3, 1 through 9. Take a look at this. Here's where he wants to bring us. Here, here's what's waiting for us further down the road if we'll take those steps. And again, now let's back up. It's not just about money. If you'll take that step of trust with what he says about friendships and gossip and cheating and stealing and all these things, if you'll trust him with all of that, here's what it could look like further down the road. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. And he was there, put there every day to beg for those, from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for what? Money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and said, I gave my 10%. So I'm good. I, I, you know, if you want to go ask the guys at the temple, they can... Take some and give it to you, but I already gave my 10%. Is that what he says? No. He says this. Look at us. The man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong and he jumped to his feet. He began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple court called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Would that be fun? That would be fun. And think what you could miss out on if you're like, hey, guy, I already gave my 10%. What if instead, as part of giving and offering more and more of yourself to God, your mind became more like Christ? Your heart began to be moved by the things that move the heart of God? And what if you got to a place in your journey where you could hear the whispers of the Holy Spirit saying, right now, in this moment, I want to heal that guy. I don't have all the answers why I'm not going to heal everybody else. But right now, what I want you to do is to yield yourself, humble yourself, take a chance, and say, rise and walk to this guy. And when they did, that guy's life changed forever. What happened to those around him? They're like, oh, glory to God. Look what just happened. Tithing or any choice of surrender it's just another step towards that where you yield your whole self. You say, God, here is my mind. Direct me through my day. Here's my heart. Let it break for the things that break yours. Not just 10%. It's all your money. And if you want me to hold some back, if you want me to spend it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be guided by that. And I'm not going to be guided by trying to get my membership dues to balance zero. If I had this to do over again, that would have been one of your talk points. Tithing is not about your membership balance getting to zero. Okay, are God and I good? I gave a little extra their time, but now that you know. It's not about that. It's about offering your whole self to God. Tithing is just one stop, small milestone in that direction. Did I give you that talk point yet, the milestone one? If not, let's put that up. Tithing, it's just an early milestone on this journey. That's all it is. 
Are you going to trust him with your first and best? Not just in money, but in all things. That's where the journey's taken us. Well, I opened with the story of a pastor who obviously had a lot to learn about money. I want to close with the story of a pastor who I think gets it. A prospective member came to a membership class led by a pastor named Erwin McManus. And the prospective member listened to all the stuff and then got a little smug and said to the pastor, he said, Pastor, before I commit to your church, I just want to know if, if you're one of those legalistic churches, because I don't want to be a part of a legalistic church. Are you one of those legalistic churches that talks about tithing? And Erwin McManus said, no, we're not one of those legalistic churches. We're a grace church. And there's no way that we would ever limit you to only give 10% of yourself to God. We, and then now I'm just making up this last part. But we serve a God who didn't give 10%. He gave everything. And amazing things happened when he did. And out of that amazing grace, what could happen in our, our lives if we turned everything over to him? Well, let's pray. Let's seal this. And then I just have a couple of little closing things that I'd like to, to invite you to do. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, we want to seal this time because there's not a person in this room who doesn't have a next step in front of them. And Lord, if it's not visible to them, we pray right now, or to us, if it's not visible to us, we pray that your Holy Spirit would descend and show us. Help us to zoom out from that, that, that pavement a little bit and, and help us to, to see the next step for us. I'm positive there's people in here, when it comes to relationships, that have a next step that they're supposed to take, whether it's to break up or to have a tough conversation or something. And Father, certainly with career, you know, we get to the end of, towards the end of school, there's probably a lot of things dealing with that. And certainly with money, with forgiveness, with questions of integrity, of telling the truth. Father, would you help us right here, right now, to ask for your strength to be able to take that next step that next step in the right direction, whether it's money or whatever. Help us to trust you more and more. And God, we thank you that you didn't hold back at all. You went first. You didn't say if, then. You pushed all your chips in. You, you sent your one and only son to pay a price that we could never pay so that we could be forgiven, we could be reconciled, so that we could have the mind of Christ. We can have the heart of Christ. So, Father, help us to respond to that amazing grace by taking these next faithful steps, whatever they would be, so that we could experience the wonder that comes as we yield more and more of our lives to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things that I wanted to do as we close here today is to, um, to let you know that each and every week we have people that would love to pray with you. Uh, they meet right over there at that sign that says prayer. And I want to tell you, we're, gonna, we're, we're trying to coordinate calendars. I want to share one of the stories. This type of thing happens in this room. We're gonna, I'm going to coordinate schedules where we can show where one person had a, had, a, had a leading and he handed me a little card that said wrist problems on it. And so I just said at the end of the, the deal, hey, if you've got a wrist problem, you might want to go check out. I want to tell you how that story ended. But I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to wait until they can tell you themselves. This stuff happens. 
This stuff happens, this acts stuff still happens today. So whether it's a physical need, um, the note I got today was back problems, whether it's a physical need or, or whatever, it doesn't have to be a need. If you'd like prayer about anything, we'd love to pray with you today. Another thing I want to offer to you as we go our separate ways here is we're here to help. And when it comes to money, we know that that's a tough, 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 tough thing. And so from time to time, we offer financial classes. We don't have a financial class going right now, but I bought some more copies of the Dave Ramsey book. We bought a whole bunch of these. I put them on the table, and they disappeared uh, when we did our last stewardship series, so I thought I'd get some more. I put a bunch there at each of the tables. There is a gift. You'll notice that the stack of Dave Ramsey books and the stack of Bibles are two different stacks. This is not the Bible. I don't agree with everything he says about money. He doesn't agree with everything I say about money. We haven't had that conversation. I'm just assuming. It's not the Bible, but it is a very good, um, helpful resource if you're trying to figure out things like budgeting and that type of thing. So if you'd like a copy, we have some there. If we run out and you promise to read it, just send me an email and we'll order you a copy of that too. We wanna, we wanna, we're here to help. And, and as best we can do that, we would like to do so. All right, well, the last thing then. I'd like to do is to get, ask God's blessing over you as we go our separate ways for the week. So would you please stand, and I want to ask God to bless us as we go our separate ways. Oh, Father, we want to ask for that blessing that, that we asked at 9 o'clock, and that is for you to convict us. What a blessing it is to have your conviction, because your kindness, it's going to lead us to repentance, and conviction is kindness. Lord, convict us of the area where we, we need to take that next step, and, and Lord, we, we pray for conviction that's very specific, not just a goal of I want to become more spiritually fit. What does that mean? Is it our finances? Is it our relationships? Is it our integrity? Is it what we should or shouldn't be watching you know, or reading? Father, whatever it is, we pray that you show us that next step and then bless us with the courage and conviction and support that we need to begin that journey. Help us to fix our eyes. All right, a double blessing. Lord, we also help us to fix our eyes on what could happen in our lives and in those lives around us if we did that. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.